Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, welcoming you to our continuing discussion of leadership issues and particularly leadership issues for ministry leaders. Today I'd like to talk with you about a more personal aspect of ministry leadership and I'd like to focus on those of you who are married and learning how to make ministry marriage work better. Now you say, well, I'm not quite yet married. That's okay. This information may help you to prepare better for marriage someday, but it may also help you lay a foundation for some better expectations of what ministry marriage may be like in your future. So I hope it'll help everyone, not just those of us who are already married, but everyone who hears the podcast. So how do you make ministry marriage work a little better? First of all, uh, two broad observations. Uh, Ministry marriages are unique, but they're not as unique as you think. And the first thing I would say about making a ministry marriage work is that all the things you teach and preach for other couples to do, uh, you should do them as well. Many ministry leaders uh, speak on the family, speak on marriage, uh, do premarital counseling, do marriage counseling, and we're always advocating that couples uh, have date night, uh, set aside time for meaningful conversation, uh, find ways to meet each other's needs. Well, guess what? All the things you counsel other people to do in their marriages, you're supposed to be doing them too. So the first thing about making ministry marriage work that's really not that unique is you're just like everyone else. You need to do the same things that other married couples do to build strong marriages. A second broad observation is this. Many professions have special challenges to marriage. You're not the only one who has to handle vocational challenges to marriage if you're in the ministry. Sometimes I think people in ministry feel victimized, or we have what I sometimes call loser's limp, where we kind of limp around pretending things are worse than they are so people will uh, notice us or in some way feel sorry for us. Well, listen, ministry marriage is no more difficult or no more challenging than some other vocational uh, marriages or vocationally impacted marriages. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Physicians, for example. They have uh, to be on call. I have a friend, for example, who's in a medical practice where he's on call one day a week, uh, one night a week, and then one weekend a month. And so on those call nights and call weekends, his children simply know that he's unavailable. Uh, He might be with them, but he might leave at the drop of a hat and be gone for another 10, 12, 14, 16 hours as he's dealing with medical crises. And so they simply understand this is part of what it means to have a dad who's a physician. Uh, Other people like uh, people in the military. Uh, Military wives often have husbands who go away, and now it's even military wives who go away and leave husbands behind. Uh, There's long periods of separation in military marriages, and yet you have to find a way to make them work. One of my favorite recent conversations was with a, a Navy wife down in San Diego, California. I was speaking at a conference, got acquainted with her a little bit, and she said, I'm a Navy wife. I have four children and a man who's out guarding the world and protecting us and guaranteeing our freedom. Uh, and she made an impassioned speech to me about the importance of, of, of her children and of her knowing the mission her husband had been called uh, to fulfill and supporting him in every way possible. And she'd been doing this for about 20 years, so she was a veteran at it and convictionally uh, strong in her position. In fact, so much so that the Navy has her training other wives about what this is supposed to be like. But the point is, Military marriages have challenges too. School administrators and coaches, uh, their marriages have challenges. I, 
I have a good friend who's been a football coach for a long time. For more than 30 years, their entire fall family calendar has built, been built around the preparation for and the recovery uh, from uh, football games on high, on high school Friday nights. Uh, one day when his daughter was a, small, uh, a little girl, she said to her mommy, I don't really like football. And she didn't want to go to the game. She didn't want to participate in the activities. And her mother said, sweetheart, uh, we're a football family. If you don't like football, you're going to have to find a different family. And while she said it kind of jokingly, what she was really saying was, hey, this is part of who we are, and it's an adjustment we all have to make. It's, it's a challenge that our family has to manage. And in her marriage, she knew that there were ebbs and flows to the year and the calendar that were caused by her husband's football coaching. Well, I could go on and on, nurses, truck drivers, uh, executives of large companies, all kinds of people in all kinds of marriages, have vocational challenges to their marital success. So if you're in ministry, yeah, you have some unique challenges, but they're not as unique as you think, and you're not alone in having to face the challenge of how to make your marriage more successful. So having said those two broad uh, introductory remarks, let me move now to talk about some ministry marriage issues that do require special focus and some things that you can do as a couple that will help strengthen your ministry marriage. First, be yourself and be the couple that God made you to be. Ministry couples often face pressures to conform to the expectations of others. Those expectations uh, can be based, for example, on the previous couple in their ministry setting. For example, a pastor and his wife, long-term service in a church, they leave, new pastor comes, maybe a younger pastor, maybe a pastor with a very different understanding of how marriage is supposed to work and how, those, and how their marriage relates to the ministry role. They can be criticized because they don't measure up to the previous model, and they're pressured to conform to that model. Also, sometimes followers have an ideal marriage in their minds, and they project that on ministry leaders and think that ministry leaders' marriages are supposed to be ideal in the same sense that they have it imagined. So these kinds of pressures can force married couples or ministry marriage couples to, to try to be something they're not or try to fit into a mold they don't fit or try to live up to expectations that are unrealistic. Healthy ministry couples live who they are not who they, quote, ought to be. And they live out the marriage they have and the marriage they understand they're supposed to have, not the marriage that's dictated to them by the expectations of others. I think there are actually three uh, models of ministry marriage that can work quite well. And uh, you might think about which one of these you fit most closely and, and really try to structure your marriage to fit that model. Now, there's always some, some bleed over into the other categories. I understand that. But it gives you freedom if you understand that it's all right to be unique in how you see yourselves relating to marriage and to ministry. Uh, first of all, there's what I call a shared model. This is where a married couple have very similar sense of calling and purpose and function. International missionaries often have this, where they both feel called into ministry leadership and to international mission service, and they both find themselves sharing the gospel and making disciples and facilitating church planting or serving in need-meeting institutions or organizations to try to expand the influence of the gospel. And while they may have to set aside other time for administrative duties or parenting duties, uh, they still see themselves as partners in the ministry marriage trying to fulfill what God wants them to do. Another model is what I call the compatible model, and that's really the model that my wife and I have. 
we both feel a strong calling into ministry, and we both uh, brought that with us into our marriage. But we don't have the same understanding of what that means in terms of uh, the outworking of our calling or how that even works out in our marriage. For example, I teach and preach and write and lead an organization. Uh, my wife is a preschool ministry leader. Uh, she's a mentor for women. She does some speaking and writing, but that's really more of an ancillary part of who she is, not the driving force of her ministry. And because of these differences in terms of how we see ministry, we're compatible in that we work together to accomplish some of the same goals, but we don't, for example, go to the same meetings, speak at the same events, mentor the same couples. We have individual spheres of influence, but we come together, and that reflects in our marriage. Uh, we have to make ways for our marriage to have that kind of freedom within it for us to do different things with different people in different venues, and yet still maintain the coming together in compatibility times uh, that we can mutually support one another as in what we do. And that leads me to the third model. That's what I call the supportive model. And that's where a couple has one person in the relationship that's really passionate about ministry and called to be a ministry leader, and the other person's a strong Christian, but not necessarily really engaged in what, is, what might typically or traditionally be called ministry leadership. For example, I have a friend who's been a very effective pastor for a long time, and when you ask his wife, uh, are you the pastor's wife, she'll say, well, yeah, I'm married to the pastor, but I, I really don't see myself in that role, in that kind of traditional sense. She has her own career. She has her own interests. She's very actively involved in their church. She's a Sunday school teacher. She sings in the music program. So she sees herself as a dynamic and committed church woman, but she just really never has identified as a pastor's wife or a minister's wife or a person that has certain offices or responsibilities or roles that come to her just because she's married to the pastor. Well, you might say, well, that, that, that's not a very traditional approach. Well, it's not, but it, it works for them. It's a very supportive model of ministry and of marriage. So what I'm trying to get you to see is that ministry marriage means that you must be yourself and the couple God made you to be. You're going to be pressured to conform by the expectations of others or by the ideal marriage that people envision you're supposed to have, but you'll be far healthier if you sort out what your ministry marriage is going to be like and the model that you think is best for you, whether it's a shared model, a compatible model, a supportive model, and you understand your commitment to ministry in the context of your marriage in one of those categories. Now, again, that doesn't mean that there's not some bleed over or some sharing of qualities within these categories, but it gives you a freedom to understand yourself for who you really are and who you were made to be as a couple and not try to be something that you're not or to live up to someone else's expectations. Okay, so a second major issue in making ministry marriage work is to set boundaries separating your ministry and your personal life. Now, well-meaning people will take from you all the time you will give. They have no real awareness of your work demands. They don't understand all that you do when they're not with you or all that you do that they don't see you doing. And this is particularly true in ministry because we do things that are very public. We preach and teach and write. We chair meetings and, uh, and, and meet in counseling appointments. But we also do a tremendous amount of work behind the scenes, studying, preparing to speak, planning, administrating programs, and perhaps personnel, uh, dealing with confidential issues and with 
people on a one-on-one -on -one basis that requires a heightened level of individual uh, time and confidentiality. And so people really have no idea of the full orb of demands that are on your time as a ministry leader. This means uh, that you'll have to set the boundaries if any boundaries are going to be set. I remember, for example, uh, in my early pastoral ministry, uh, I had a man who would come by the church office every Friday morning, and he would say the same thing. My wife's at the beauty parlor. Now, that dates me, but that, that's what it was called when I was first starting out as a pastor. He'd say, well, my wife's at the beauty parlor, and I had some time to kill, so I thought I'd come by and see you guys. And he would want to come in and sit in one of the pastor's offices and talk for an hour and a half about not anything really of substance, uh, but just simply to while away the time because he knew we had nothing but time on our hands and would be welcoming of his visit every Friday morning. Now, let me just mention or add that there's times when that kind of uh, casual kind of conversation with someone is, is helpful and beneficial, and so I'm not critiquing that. But every Friday, just because he had time to kill, thinking that the best place to do that was in the pastor's office? Well, that's the kind of expectation that people have of us because they really don't fully understand the, the time demands that we face. So you're responsible to set boundaries in your ministry that separate your personal life from your ministry life. And one of the primary areas that you have to do this is in the area of time and availability. Now, ministry leaders sometimes operate under the false assumption that, they are, that their value to people is determined by their availability to people all the time. In other words, people will value them more if every time they call or email or come by, they get an immediate response. But really, that's simply not true in our culture. Think about it. The people that we value most highly are the least accessible to us. If you want to see your doctor, you have to have an appointment, sometimes weeks in advance. If you want to see an attorney, you have to have an appointment, again, sometimes weeks in advance. The people that we value highly tend to be people that are not accessible all the time, that do protect their time and do share their time only when it's productive for both them and the person they're working with. They're people who do have a sense of boundary between the personal and the professional or the personal and the ministry style of life. Uh, when Henry Ford was running the Ford Motor Company, he had a habit when he interviewed senior executives of asking them rather casually in a lunchtime conversation perhaps what they did on their last vacation. Many times the answers were, well, I didn't really have time for a vacation or the last two years I've been so focused on my product projects that I really couldn't take time away. And, and they were trying to impress Henry Ford with their diligence, their devotion, uh, their, 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 their constant attention to work. And they thought by doing that, they would have a greater chance of getting a senior executive position on his team. What they didn't know was it was kind of a trick question. When Henry Ford asked the question, he was listening to see if anyone could tell him, yes, I spent two weeks with my family doing this, camping, or this traveling, or these activities. Because he said, any man who cannot organize his life and his work well enough that his work functions for two weeks without him every year isn't a skilled enough executive to work for the higher, at the higher levels of Ford Motor Company. Now, when I read that years ago, it really resonated with me because I thought that that's really true for me as a ministry leader. If I can't create systems, train other leaders, and 
and plan coverage for the activities that I'm responsible for for a couple of weeks a year while I'm gone, then what does that say about my inability as an executive or as a senior leader in a ministry organization? So it's important to set boundaries, recognizing that if you don't set boundaries, no one will, and those boundaries have to be set between your personal time and your ministry time, your personal life and your ministry life. I remember a number of years ago, uh, again, in my early pastoral days, I was a, I was a workaholic. Uh, I worked day after day after day, hour after hour after hour. Um, I made fun of people who took time off. I, I uh, was proud of my relentless determination to get everything done and to, be a, and to just pour my heart and soul into my work. And finally, it started showing up in our marriage in really negative ways. And, and Anne confronted me about this and said that I absolutely had to change my patterns and start taking time away from work and devoting time to her and time to our children. Uh, she wanted me to take one full day a week away from all ministry responsibility and focus it entirely on our family. Now, this might seem <laughs> hard to believe, but I actually thought if I tell my leaders of my church this, they're probably going to fire me. That's how insecure I was and how driven I was and how much of a workaholic I was. But I did it. I, I realized how serious this was in my marriage, and I went to the deacons of our church, and I said, hey, fellas, here's the deal. Um, I've, I'm just going to have to start taking one day a week off completely, uh, disengaged from ministry and focusing on my family. And when I said that, uh, I, I, was, I was really expecting a negative reaction because I, I thought they expected that of me. And one of the men said, well, finally. And I thought, finally? He said, yeah, finally. Uh, we wondered when you were going to come to your senses and stop working like this and, and start do, taking more time for yourself and your family. And I looked around the room, and everyone's head was nodding. Now, that was instructive to me because I realized that they knew something about me that I didn't yet know, and that is I needed to do this, take this time away. But it was also interesting that none of them had come forward to confront me about this. In other words, they were willing to allow me to do it until I came to the place where I realized I had to make the change, which sort of underscores my point. And that is, people will take from you all the time you'll give them. But if you'll set the boundaries and set them in a healthy way, they will respect you. Now, tragically, failure to do this sends a powerful message to your family that is destructive and especially destructive uh, in the relationships you have with your spouse and with your children. I have had many examples of this, but one that towers above all of them was a pastor who was leading a church that was growing rapidly. Um, I, I, I picked up from talking with him at a conference some concerns about his work style and about how he was growing the church. So uh, I made a, 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 an appointment, went to visit him, uh, found out that he was working about 80 hours a week, and that he was quite proud of the fact that any time the phone rang, he jumped up and immediately raced out the door to meet those needs. This had been going on for a few years. The church had grown from about, uh, four, about 200 people to about 600 people. It had increased by about 400. He had a very intentional plan to get that church up to 1,000 people. And when I asked him, why, why that particular number? He said, well, a thousand is the number of people that I think I can take care of on a personal basis. Now, that, that really frightened me when he said that because I thought there's no way that a person can take care of a thousand people on a personal basis, and yet that was his goal. Tragically, um, a year or two after that, his wife left him and his children, who were at that point uh, teenagers, 
uh, started engaging in incredibly destructive behavior. And it really was sad that his years of neglect, of failing to set any boundaries, and of abandoning his family on multiple occasions uh, in the midst of family activities, family vacations, uh, meals, ball games, every time running to the church's needs and not the family's needs ultimately cost him everything. Well, what are the kinds of boundaries you should set? Well, here, here's a few. Uh, set the boundaries of the days you will work and the days you will be off. Uh, set the boundaries of the office time or the work time you're available and the time that you're not. Uh, set a boundary on tasks you will do and tasks you will delegate or, the most difficult thing, leave undone. Now, if you expect these boundaries to be respected, there's some things you have to remember. First, you have to keep to the schedule you post. And second, you have to work when you're supposed to be working. And third, you have to produce results which give evidence of time well used. For example, pastors should set aside blocks of time every week to study. You say, well, will people honor that? Well, if on Sunday they hear the results or the product of that study, fresh messages every week, invigorating information from Scripture, fresh illustrations, clear applications, they will give you the time to study if they see the time being productive. They'll give you the time for planning retreats and planning times if they see those plans coming to fruition in meaningful and successful ministry being done. So if you expect boundaries to be honored, set them, hold to them, work when you're supposed to be working, and produce results that show the effect of, these, of this time that you've allotted uh, for work. Now here's a couple of hints that help me to keep the boundaries in place. First, uh, when I'm disconnected from work, I have to disconnect from the technology which ties me to work. So that means when I'm off on my days that I'm spending with my wife, uh, I generally uh, turn my phone off. Now, if I don't turn the phone off, I always turn the email off. Uh, I just simply can't be checking email all day and call that a day that's not, that I'm spending with my wife or family. Um, I sometimes have to leave the phone on because, uh, you know, I have family commitments and other things like that that I want to be able to keep up with, or, uh, and, and it's kind of cumbersome to turn things off. But I, I'm able to manage the phone calls easier than the email, it seems, and turning that email off makes a very significant difference in how the day goes or how my time disconnected goes. Then the second thing is it's helpful if you can separate your workspace from your personal space. Now, I'm fortunate that I have an office to go to, and that makes it easier for me to do that. But when I was a church planter, I didn't have an office. Um, our church offices were in our home for years. But what we did in our home was we just set aside a place that we called the church place or the church office, and that's where I tried to go when I had to do the work of the church and do the work that was required of the church. And we trained our children, even though they were young. Now, when I, that when I was in that room, I was at work, and, and they couldn't come in there and bother me. But when I came out of that room, it was a fair game, open season on dad. So I had to discipline myself to be in a space that was set aside for my work, even when it was in my home. So these are some helps to, to uh, setting boundaries, separating your ministry and personal life, and how you can perhaps do that more effectively. Well, third, a third way that you can make ministry marriage work, special issues, is to manage expectations you have of ministry marriage. Uh, the Bible says that unrealistic expectations will make you heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, unrealistic expectations causes emotional trauma. That's what that's saying in our language. 
So what are some realistic expectations you have to have of a ministry marriage that are perhaps different than some other marriages? Well, first of all, you have to have realistic expectations about money. You will live on a limited income in ministry. That doesn't mean you can't spend time together and have a meaningful marriage. It just means you have to be more creative about how you're going to do that. You have to find creative ways to spend time together, inexpensive ways to spend time together, and ways that maximize the resources you have, not keep you from doing things because you don't have the resources that perhaps other people, even in your church ministry setting, do have. Second realistic expectation are time demands. Um, in ministry marriage, you will sacrifice some time together for legitimate ministry commitments. As I said earlier, it, it's not wise to go every time the phone rings or rush away every time someone has a need or break up a family gathering just because a church member uh, has a demand. Sometimes you have to hold to the boundaries. But there are always exceptions to that where time demands require you uh, to be involved in legitimate ministry commitments. For example, for uh, at least 10 years, uh, my wife and I were never together on our wedding anniversary. Uh, it, we got married in the summer. I was a pastor. Summertime is children's camp time and youth camp time, and it just seemed like every year one or the other of those would take place during our anniversary. You say, well, you should have just skipped those things and stayed home for your anniversary. Well, that's really not realistic when you're in a small church or in a church plant, and so much of it revolves around your leadership, especially those key events like summer camps for kids and, and youth. So my wife and I just decided that we would pick a different day for our anniversary every summer. We would say, what day do you want our anniversary to be this summer? And we'd pick a mutually agreeable date. We'd stamp that date on our calendar and say, that's our anniversary this year. And we celebrated it just as if it were the day we got married. And we actually had fun doing that because we felt like we were sort of creating a new anniversary every summer when we were facing those ministry demands. Another realistic expectation is you will have some emergency response times in marriage that you have to drop everything and simply go. Um, when I think about those instances of uh, crisis births, uh, emergency hospitalizations, or one particular time when a man I was working with was injured on the job, and, um, and I spent hours with him and with his wife that night, well into the night, uh, stepping out of, on my family and friends that were gathered for some special things we were supposed to be doing together, but in this particular case, uh, there was an absolute demand that I had to be present. And everyone understood that. Now, part of the reason my family understood that I was, it was okay for me to be gone on this emergency was when people claimed an emergency, but it really wasn't one. My family had seen me over the years say, you know, I'll see you tomorrow or I'll get with you later this week. And they had, saw, they had seen me do that. And so they knew that when I really did say this is an emergency, they knew I really did have to go. And then another realistic expectation is in ministry marriage, you'll sometimes have some lonely times. Uh, because of these demands that I've just described and other aspects of ministry responsibility, uh, you're going to feel like a single parent sometimes. And I think a lot of times uh, wives feel this, maybe even more than husbands. You know, I travel in my job, and, and uh, that means that I'm going to be away for uh, some nights when Anne is home alone, and that's challenging for her. But she's learned to understand how to manage her loneliness and manage our times of separation and make the most of them in her own productive ministry ways. But nevertheless, there's a sense of loneliness when I'm on the road, and I think, man, I'd just like to be home. But it's part of my job to be away from home sometimes, and that's going to bring with it uh, some loneliness. But again, uh, this can be managed. It's a, it's a realistic expectation of ministry marriage. You can't make it go away if you're going to actually be out there doing things like uh, preaching and teaching and traveling and going to camps and conferences and conventions. These are kinds of things that just cause us to have some lonely times. Well, finally, 
you, can, you can nurture your marriage, uh, a ministry marriage, by sharing your life around something other than ministry. Now, we've been in ministry together uh, for almost 40 years, and so obviously a lot of our lives revolve around our ministry commitments. But Ann and I have always found ways to do things that were not focused around our ministries. Uh, we like to go out together and do things that are uh, simply fun and enjoyable. We, we like concerts. We like live theater, even like inexpensive community theater, things like that. Um, uh, we, we like to go out and, and be uh, uh, to, to uh, farmer's market type places and other kinds of places and just simply be together. Uh, we've, had, we've had interests over the years that we like to be involved in that relate to travel or seeing different sites or especially historical uh, uh, places that we've, liked, that we've traveled to or that we've been able to go and see. Uh, we talk about these things. We, we, we dream about them. We, we, uh, we make plans about them. There's a part of our lives that we share together that, that really is completely separated from and doesn't have much to do really with our ministry lives. And so it's okay to nurture your marriage and to nurture interests, activities, uh, to nurture uh, uh, hobbies or, or other events that really don't have anything to do with being in ministry together, just have to do with being in life together and doing what you simply enjoy. Well, making ministry marriage work, uh, it can be done. Many couples are doing it successfully. So just to review, remember, ministry marriages are not all that unique. We have to do the same things we counsel other people to do and recognize that ministry marriage is just one of the vocationally challenged or one of the kinds of marriage that has vocational challenges. Like a lot of other marriages, ministry marriages have some unique challenges. Well, what are those challenges and what can you do about them? Well, be yourself and be the couple God made you to be. Set boundaries and hold to those boundaries Manage expectations and be sure you have realistic expectations and then nurture your marriage around activities that don't have anything to do with your ministry commitment or your ministry involvement. We've been married a long time. Uh, mostly, <laughs> we've had a very healthy and happy marriage. We've had some rough times because we made mistakes on a lot of the things I've taught about today. But all in all, ministry and marriage have been very compatible in our lives and there's not any reason why a ministry marriage can't be mutually beneficial for the couple involved, and profitable for the ministry responsibilities the couple shares. So today, make ministry marriage work. Make your ministry marriage work. Uh, it's worth the effort, and it makes an investment not only in who you are, but in the kingdom of God. So with that in mind, uh, let's get back to work. And remember, always lead on.